Welcome to the hiking podcast for the 2024 season for Explore Yellowstone Like a Local, the number one podcast for Yellowstone and Grand Teton National Parks and home to the top-rated guidebook of the same name. And I'm your author as well as your host for this and all the other podcasts as well as the videos, Teddy Garland. And this is the most popular podcast we do and it's the most popular chapter in the guidebook as well we have been told and it is hiking in the Grand Tetons and Yellowstone Park and just outside the park as well for those of you that wish to hike with your pet because pets are not allowed on any trail in either national park park wide but I've got you covered if you want to hike with your Fido like we do alright the guidebook has been called the best guidebook ever written for Yellowstone Park and a must have for any trip to Yellowstone and even the Bible for Yellowstone Park. So if you guys are thinking about getting a guidebook for your Yellowstone Park vacation and you want some more information before you purchase one, simply listen to my Introduction to Explore Yellowstone Like a Local podcast or you can watch my YouTube video of the same name in a kind of a shortened version. And there you will hear my family's over 100 year history in the area and hear how I am one of the foremost authorities on Yellowstone Park. And you'll also discover how easy the guidebook is to use as it gives you step-by-step instructions so you can self-guide your group or your family through the park and how the guidebook breaks the enormous size of Yellowstone Park down into manageable bites that you can easily and enjoyably do in a single day. And in the Planning Your Yellowstone Vacation chapter, the guidebook helps you save time by beating all the crowds to all the top sides and how to save thousands of dollars on your Yellowstone vacation by following my money-saving tips on flights, lodging, and dining. And I highly recommend anybody listening to this podcast join our Explore Yellowstone Like a Local Facebook group where you will see hundreds of sparkling reviews for the guidebook as well as thousands of pictures that you guys have posted of you guys having a great time hiking in Yellowstone and Grand Teton National Parks with the help of the guidebook. To get your copy, simply go to our website, exploreyellowstonelikealocal.com, where you can get an electronic copy for only 12 bucks or a paperback copy for 25 bucks. and I write a personal note to everyone who buys one and throw in a cool Yellowstone sticker as well. And you'll find some combo deals on there that are very popular to save you a little money, and you'll find a cool little store on there. We've got some trucker hats and some swag and some t-shirts and stuff for you guys. And everybody noticed that the guidebook for the 2024 season is... 20% longer than it was in 2023, and a lot of that went into the hiking chapter. I completely rewrote the hiking chapter from start to finish and made it a lot more user-friendly for you guys, and we're getting ready to go into that here in just a second. And everybody be aware that we only print off a 1,000 paperback copies every year to do our part to help save the environment and all that stuff. You are visiting the most famous national park in the world, albeit, so do your part as well. And we sold out of those guidebooks last year about the first week in August. So with our growing popularity, we will sell out before that. So get yours ordered now if you want to get one of those. And if you're picking up on these podcasts and you're already there, you're already up there in the Yellowstone area, 
and you want a paperback copy, we send a few copies every year to the Book Peddler in West Yellowstone and West Park Outdoors in West Yellowstone. So you guys can pick one up there if you want to get a paperback copy and you're already up there. So, all right, let's get started with this hiking chapter. And you guys got to remember, this is just a gloss over of what's in the guidebook. This chapter is so long in the guidebook. If I kind of went over every item in this guidebook, this podcast would be five hours long. This hiking chapter is huge, but it covers all these great hikes. And you guys got to remember, there's over a thousand miles of hiking trails in Yellowstone Park, but you know, 90% of them or so are just hiking through the trees. You're just walking through the trees and you get to a bluff or something like that. Yellowstone Park provides the coolest hiking on planet Earth. I mean, think about it, you guys. You guys are hiking on top of the second largest volcano on planet Earth. The trails, the great trails, are right on top of the volcano because you get all this thermal activity. I'm going to get you guys to the coolest things on planet Earth in the hiking chapter in the guidebook. So, you know, there's no reason just to walk through the trees. You can do that in Colorado. What you can't do in Colorado is get to a waterfall with thermally heated water pouring all over you on it and you walk behind the thing and come out the other side and you can't get in a hot pot and sit down and relax in a nice hot pot looking out over a waterfall coming right down next to you as you sit there and relax in the warm waters of a hot pot and you can't go watch a geyser go off and you can't go see some of the biggest deepest most crystal clear blue pools on planet earth these things only exist in yellowstone park and i get you to all of these things and on top of that I get you guys to four secret backcountry geyser basins that I have found going into the park for the last 60 years and my thousands of times of going into the park. And I have found four areas that are just absolutely top notch, but they're not on any trails. They're off trail hikes to get to them. And I provide all the information how to get to those places in the guidebook for you guys, because you're not going to get there without me. They're in my head. That's the only place these hikes are. They're not going to show up on all trails or anything else. And and there's one of these hikes that gets you back to some of these geysers that if there was a trail back there to these things, there would be 10,000 people a day back taking their selfies in front of these geysers and these beautiful pools. But I get you to a few places that have seen less than 100 visitors since the park was established in 1872, and I'm not kidding you one bit. And the the only way you're going to get back there is to purchase a guidebook and get the compass headings, the maps that I have hand-drawn and put in there for you to get you to some of these places. They are absolutely magnificent. And uh, and the only way you're going to get to those is by getting a guidebook. So, all right, so let's get started with the hiking chapter. We're going to kind of cover the ins and outs of trails and easy trails, more difficult trails, really difficult trails, the Grand Tetons, how to get a permit, where the campsites are, how the campsites work, and all of that stuff. So let's get started with hiking in Yellowstone as well as Grand Teton National Parks. Here we go. Okay, first things first, get a good map. The only maps I will use in Yellowstone Park are the Nat Geo Quadrangle maps that break the enormous size of Yellowstone Park down into four areas. The northeast corner, 
the southeast corner, the southwest corner, and the northwest corner. And these maps are detailed enough that you can see all of the trails and you get to see all of the campsites. If you get one giant map of Yellowstone Park, it may show all the trails on there, but it's not going to show all of the campsites. And you guys have to remember, cell service in Yellowstone Park is virtually non-existent. You cannot upload a map to your phone if you're in the backcountry and you kind of get lost. You, you're going to be stuck. You will not be able to pull stuff up on your phone. The only place you can get a signal in Yellowstone Park is about a one or two bars at Old Faithful, one bar at Canyon, and about one or two bars over at Mammoth. That is it. But once you get about a block down the street, your cell phone loses its signal completely. If you plan on doing any hiking, I don't care if it's just day hiking in Yellowstone Park, get a good map, get the four quadrangle maps for Yellowstone Park that break it down into four areas because Yellowstone Park is just huge, you guys. It catches everybody off guard. It's the size of Connecticut. It's 3,500 square miles. You can fit 15 New York cities inside the boundaries of Yellowstone Park. Get the four quadrangle maps so you know where you're going. And so, and there's just one map for Grand Teton. Grand Teton's fairly small. Grand Teton is a small national park like Zion and Bryce and all that kind of stuff. Nat Geo produces one map for Grand Teton, and that is all you need. So get a good map, whether you're planning on hiking in Grand Teton and or Yellowstone Park. Get a copy of those Nat Geo maps, and you will be set. All right, so let's next discuss when you plan on arriving and hiking in Yellowstone and Grand Teton National Parks. In the planning your Yellowstone vacation chapter in the guidebook, I give you all the pros and cons about when you should arrive in Yellowstone Park. I tell you that most of the trails are going to be snowed in until about May 15th, and then I also tell you a very important issue about the bear management areas. There's a huge bear management area which starts just north of the old Faithful Geyser Basin and runs all the most all the way up to Madison Junction. And this is a big bear management area. It keeps you from going to see Grand Prismatic and Great Fountain Geyser and a couple of the good secret hikes I got you guys going to. And it keeps you from going to the lower Geyser Basin. All those areas are closed until May 24th. They open the first Friday of the Memorial Weekend every year. And in 2024, that happens to be May 24th. So if you planned on going to see Grand Prismatic, the most photographed hot pool on earth, you are gonna get shut out because all the trails to Grand Prismatic are closed until the first Friday in May, which in 2024 is happens to be May 24th. But just to be clear, the old Faithful Geyser Basin is open. You can go see all the geysers and all that stuff. But just about a block north of Old Faithful, everything will be closed. But for the majority of May, your hiking is going to be limited to the lower elevations on the north end of the park up near the Yellowstone River because those elevations are 1,000 to 1,500 feet lower than the rest of Yellowstone Park, and thus they're much warmer. And so I kind of go over all of those hikes in the guidebook with you guys. But if you arrive, say, before June 1st, your hiking, day hiking, overnight hiking, all your hiking is basically going to be limited to the north end of the park along the Yellowstone River. 
And then, like I mentioned earlier, at the end of May, the the first Friday on Memorial Weekend, all the trails north of Old Faithful to the Madison Junction area, which is by far and away the most popular spot in all of Yellowstone Park, all of those trails open up then. For all you guys arriving the first three weeks the park's open, you guys are really limited on where you can go, but everything just starts opening up gradually as you go through there, and I explain all of that in the guidebook for you guys. So that kind of covers the where and when early in the season in Yellowstone. Let's kind of discuss that in Grand Teton next. All right, for you early park visitors that come the last week in April and the first two or three weeks in May, and you want to go hike in the Grand Tetons, you are basically going to be limited to the hikes around the lakes, the lower elevation areas around those lakes, like Jenny Lake, Lee Lake, and String Lake, and then Taggart Lake and all that, which I do not recommend, but I go over all the hikes I do recommend and don't recommend in the Tetons to you guys in the guidebook. However, if you guys want to hike up into the spire, of the Grand Tetons like I do, here's how that works. In a nutshell, when you're driving up to the Grand Tetons, if you see the snow level coming down towards the ground and it's two-thirds of the way down, then you're going one-third of the way up. If the snow level is halfway down the face of the Tetons, then you're going halfway up. That's it. That's all there is to it. There's no hiking any higher than the snow line in the Grand Tetons. I have gone down to the Tetons and I was going to hike up to Garnet Canyon and do all of this and go up to Delta Lake and everything else. And, you know, I came around a corner and I looked at the snow drift that was 150 yards long at a 30 degree angle from right to left and 15 feet deep. And you could see where people had walked up into this snowdrift and just sunk down over their heads. And if you get up on, if you actually got past where these people did or something like that, and you take a wrong step and that snowdrift calves out from underneath you and slides out underneath you like a mini avalanche and takes you with it, you're done. That's it. You're finished. You're going to get in a, a little avalanche, a bunch of rocks and boulders and everything bouncing off your head and everything else is going to kill you. So when you drive up to the Tetons early or late in the season, then basically wherever the snow line is, that is as high as you're going for those of you that want to hike in the, in the spires of the Tetons, which everybody wants to do this, and I cover that in depth in the guidebook, which are the best hikes to do that. And then as the season progresses and it gets warmer and warmer and the snowmobile gets higher and higher and higher until the snow's all gone off the Tetons, then you can go up as high as you want after that. But up until those times in the spring and in the fall, that snow line is your limit. So for the early and late people, you're basically hiking around the, the lakes and I tell you all of the best hikes around the lakes including those that are suitable for small kids and the elderly, et cetera, et cetera. And all that's listed in the guidebook for you guys. All right, so let's talk about overnighting in both parks next. For those of you that might want to go hiking and camp out one night or multiple nights on your Yellowstone or Grand Teton National Park vacation, let me tell you what you guys need to do to accomplish all of that. So 
So let's cover Grand Teton again first because it's kind of simpler than Yellowstone Park is. So in the main spires of the Grand Tetons, for those of you who want to camp out up in these camping areas in the spires of the Tetons, like halfway up and all that kind of stuff, then there are zones. There are these camping zones that are based on how many people can use this zone and to not impact the environment and all this kind of stuff. The problem with these zones is there can be multiple groups and dozens and dozens of people in these groups and they're just kind of camped right there next to you because a lot of these zones are in on tilted areas, rocky areas. So everybody's kind of congregated on the flat areas and you might get stuck in there with a bunch of kids that are there to party and trust me, that has happened to me more than once and the last time it happened to me, I packed my stuff up in the middle of the night and hiked out in the dark with a pin flashlight and went and slept in the back of my truck because these kids were going to sit there and party all night long until the sun came up. So that's the risk you take of camping in one of these zones. However, there are some campsites, some individual campsites that you can get for just your family or group, but none of them are up in, in the Tetons, in the spires of the Tetons. They are, however, down on some of the lakes at the base of the Tetons, and I give the, all of those to you in the guidebook, and I give you some of my recommendations. So, And some of these you can walk to, and some of them you can kayak to or paddle an SUP to. To if you wanted to. Some of them are what are called lakeside campsites, but they all have good views of the Tetons, and but they're not up in the spires of the Tetons. So all of that's covered in the guidebook for you guys about the camping and all that stuff and where you get your permit and all that stuff is in the guidebook. I'm just kind of giving you my two cents worth on overnighting in the Tetons. Honestly, you can day hike everything you want to do in the Tetons. I can get you right up into the spires of the Tetons and back to your car before lunch. There's only one really, really good hike that takes all day to get to in the Tetons, and I discuss that in depth in the guidebook, and it's a great hike. It's just a much longer walk than the rest of these get to. I mean, some of those hikes I've got going to up in the Tetons, just without summoning the Grand Teton, you're right next to the Grand Teton, and I get you right to the base of it in my recommendation hikes in the guidebook in Grand Teton. There is absolutely no reason, in my opinion, to ever, ever overnight in the Grand Teton. So that's just my two bits on all that kind of stuff. So let's discuss overnighting in Yellowstone Park next. And it's quite a bit different, honestly. So what you've got to do in Yellowstone is once you figure out where you're going to go, and all the hikes in the guidebook are broken down now area by area by area. Like if you're in the Old Faithful area, you're up in the Canyon area, you're up on the North Loop area. All of these are broken down area by area now, depending on where you're visiting for the day. And the ones that are even short day hikes that have backcountry campsites that you can reserve, I tell you those in the guidebook and which ones you should get. So you can turn a, a short day hike. Say you've got real small kids. Say you've got some three and four and five-year-old kids, but you want to take them backpacking and camping out in Yellowstone Park. And then I've got them all listed for you in the guidebook, which ones are the best ones to go do that. I've got one that's just almost guaranteed where you guys can see moose in the evening. And as you're sitting there camped out next to your tent, some moose will come out and kind of enjoy the area with you. And I mean, I used to take my kids there all the time when they were little. So, And uh, it's just things like that that are in the guidebook for you guys. And there's other short hikes that may sound really, really pleasing to you. But they may not have a backcountry campsite. I tell you that in the guidebook. So here's how this works. 
Once you've picked out one of the recommended hikes out of the guidebook, you'll have your destination and you'll know where you're going. And then you pull out the quadrangle map and then you'll see the trail. And then along the trail, you'll see campsites along that trail and they'll have a code like 2H2. Those are the numbers of the campsite that you will get for your night. And I've got the best ones listed in the guidebook. Trust me, I have stayed of them all. <laughs> and so I tell you guys in the guidebook which ones are the best ones to get. And when you go get your permit, I tell you, we give you the website and everything you can go get your permit from and how to do it and everything else. You can reserve a campsite that will be yours and yours alone. There won't be any sharing or any groups or anything else. It is your campsite. And the campsites run noon to noon. That way, while you're walking to the campsite, you're going to go get, let's just say 2H2, which is down at the confluence of the Hell Roaring and the Yellowstone River, which is a great spot I'd get you guys to. So let's say you guys are going to 2H2. The people that are there the night before you get there get up, they have breakfast, they break camp, they clean up, they pick up all their trash, they make sure the fire's dead out and all that stuff, and then they walk out. They start walking out at 10, 10, 30, 11 o'clock while you're driving to the trailhead and you get your gear on and you guys are walking down to 2H2 to the campsite. You'll cross paths with those people as they're leaving and you're coming and you get down there around noon. You pitch your tents, you have lunch, then you go mess around all afternoon, then you have dinner and you watch all the stars and everything else. Then you get up the next morning, break camp, and walk out, and then somebody else comes in and takes over the campsite. You have this campsite reserved for one 24-hour period that runs from noon to noon. Now, you can get campsites for multiple days, and but I explain all that in the guidebook to you guys. And But once you guys get those Nat Geo maps, you can see all these campsites. And I tell you that if you can't get the campsite where you want to go, like say you guys are going to Denanda Falls, which is a great hike in the fall. It's in the Beckler region. We're getting ready to get into the Beckler region here in a second, which is kind of its own little world in hiking in Yellowstone Park, but we're going to discuss that in a second and kind of give you guys the skinny on the fabulous Beckler area of Yellowstone Park. But like, say you're going to Denanda Falls, and which is just this beautiful area. There's just unbelievable pictures in the guidebook. You guys can Google up Denanda Falls, and there's hot pots at the bottom of it. The water coming off Denanda Falls is thermally heated. You can walk behind the falls and come out the other side. It it is just top-notch, man. It's badass. But there's a campsite right at the base of the falls. and But if you can't get that campsite, because a lot of people, a lot of people in the know that have been back there a bunch of times, they are after that campsite, including me. So if you can't get that one, I think it's 91. That's how many times I've stayed there. But if you can't get 91, I tell you to get a campsite that's short of their, of Denanda Falls, that's short of your destination. And that way you can get to your campsite, you pitch your tents, you throw your food, you get everything set up to where you can leave camp without your packs on, and you can finish out the hike, go visit the area you are going to. And in this case, we're talking about Dunanda Falls. You can go up there to Dunanda Falls and get in a hot pot and go jump around in the falls and screw around for four or five hours. Then you can walk back to your campsite, which might be a 30-minute or a 45-minute or an hour walk back, but you're doing it without a pack on. You can walk twice as fast without a pack on than you can a 30, 40-pound pack on. So you've dropped all your weight and all your stuff back down the trail. Plus, on the way out the next day, you're, you're closer 
back to your car. You're that much faster back to your car. So, but I kind of cover all of that in the guidebook for you guys. But that is how the the campsites work in Yellowstone Park, and we have all the information, all the websites, how you can reserve all these things, and there's also uh, walk-ins. We discuss walk-ins in the guidebook as well. So if you guys are just getting up there and you haven't reserved a campsite or anything else, the National Park Service does a great job with this. Cam Shawley and uh, Sarah Davis, who run Yellowstone National Park, do a great job with this. They hold back about 15 to 20% of the near 300 campsites in Yellowstone Park. So if you guys are just getting there and you're kind of pecking up on this podcast and all that stuff and you want to go camp at one of the campsites I got listed and you can't get it, you might be able to walk in and get one near it or something like that. So they keep about 20% for walk-ins that are only available 48 hours before you go camping. Another advantage of doing this is you can watch the weather. Trust me, even in 2023, Lisa and I had 91 right there at the base of Denanda. We had got it all the way back in the springtime and gotten in the lottery and got this great campsite. That's how popular the campsites are in Beckler, you guys. A lot of you guys, 99% of the people that visit Yellowstone Park don't know the Beckler area even exists, but that is a one of the most beautiful hiking areas in the world. And all the big people that are in the know, all the locals and everything else that hike Yellowstone Park are after campsites in Beckler. Beckler is a beautiful area that we're going to get into here in a second. But we had gotten lucky and hit the lottery and snatched 91, and it got close to it. It was at the end of September when we were supposed to catch 91, and it was miserable weather. It was snowing and raining and sleeting and hailing for like three days right when we were supposed to be up there. So we went into a, a ranger station. We canceled 91 and opened it up in case anybody else wanted that to go hike in that kind of crappy weather. I mean, it was supposed to be the high. It was supposed to be in the mid-20s and snowing and sleeting and hailing and everything else. But two days later, it was supposed to be almost 55 or 60 degrees. So that's when we were going to go hiking. And so we jumped in there and we ended up getting a camp, the campsite that was just short of 91 and we snabbed it and we watched the weather and we got a great campsite and still went and enjoyed Dunanda and Silver Cigar Falls up there. So that is the beauty of walking in, but it's always nice to have that campsite in your hip pocket. You can always release it and let some other camper have it that might be wanting it or willing to go hike in some crappy weather. So but that's how you reserve a campsite. That's how you know which campsite you want to get by looking at those Nat Geo maps. And I have all the best campsites listed in the guidebook for you guys. So let's discuss what trails I recommend you guys take in both parks and what trails I don't recommend you guys take in both parks. All right, and again, let's cover the Grand Tetons first because it's a little easier to do that. So in the guidebook, I list the trails that I like to hike in the Grand Tetons. And when I like to hike, I like to get away from all the people and all the crap in my life and everything else, have some peace and solitude, and hike right up into the spires of the Tetons or have them reflecting in a glass mirror lake right in front of me as I walk along a dead flat trail 
with the spires of the Tetons shimmering right in front of me. And I cover hikes that are suitable for small kids and all this kind of stuff and all that, and very difficult hikes, and then I cover really, really difficult hikes. But what I don't get you to is trails that are just overrun with people have limited views of the Tetons. That's not where I'm going to send you guys to. Let me give you an example. The Taggart Lake Bradley Lake Trail is just stupidly popular. I mean, the parking lot always is just overflowing with cars. There'll be five or 10 cars lined up bumper to bumper waiting for somebody to get in their car and back out so they can dive in there. And it's just crazy to me. And this trail is so worn out, it's 10 feet wide and there's limited views of the Tetons. It basically gets you up and walks you through the trees. And it's nuts to me. And you'll hear kids listening to rap music out loud on their phones that don't care about anything about what you're doing or your peace and quiet or your privacy or anything else. You'll see people pushing strollers and then changing a diaper on the trail. And if that's your cup of tea, then you guys don't need my guidebook. You guys could just go bomb around anywhere you guys want. But if you want to hike in those spots that I get you guys to, with the Tetons right in front of you, shivering in the waters on an easy, easy trail that a toddler can walk down, then that's the trails I'm going to get you to. If you want the hardest trail in all of the Grand Tetons without summoning the Grand Teton, I've got that listed in the guidebook for you guys. But I am never going to send you guys to a bunch of trails where there's a bunch of kids and crap like that going on with limited views of the Tetons and you're hiking with a thousand other people. That is not for me and that's never where I'm going to send you. All right, so let's discuss Yellowstone. Yellowstone has got, like I said, a thousand miles of trails, but the vast majority of these trails are simply hiking through the trees. There are a number of great hiking books in Yellowstone Park, but they just cover every single hike in the park. And like I mentioned, you're just walking through the trees. Why just walk through the trees when you can hike to that waterfall with thermally heated water pouring out all over you? Or you can get in a hot pot, enjoy a hot pot for a couple hours, then hike back out. Or you can get to a a great geyser and watch a geyser go off in the backcountry with nobody around. Or get to some glorious hot pools where there's nobody there because you put in the effort to get back there and hike to it and have the whole thing to your Why in the world would you ever just hike through the trees in Yellowstone Park? There is no sense in doing that. The Yellowstone Park has some of the most amazing features on planet Earth. You can't find this stuff anywhere else on Earth, but you can find them in Yellowstone Park, and I've got them all listed in my guidebook. Trust me, I have hiked that thousand miles of trails more than once, multiple times, but as I would do these, I was like, well, I'm never going to go back there. It was a dud, but this was badass, and not only was that badass, I'm going to keep going back there, and that's what I get you guys to. And then on top of that, on top of hiking all of the great trails in Yellowstone Park. I got tired of doing that. I have been up there over 60 years. I have been in Yellowstone Park thousands of times and I got tired of doing the same things over and over and over again. So I would drive through the park early in the morning and I would see steam rising off in the distance. I would park my car. I would figure out a way to get back there to it. And I would go back there and see what was back there. There's no trails. There's no maps. There's no nothing. 
I just get out of the car and just take off walking across a big meadow and have to work my way around some bison or something like that and swing around through some trees and and keep looking for steam rising off in the distance to figure out where I was going and then come around a corner and find whatever was back there. And some of them would be, be yeah, it's okay, but a lot of them were Wow, look at that. That is incredible. That is one of the coolest geysers I've ever seen in my life. And I mean, I have found some of the most unique geysers in Yellowstone Park, but there's no trails or roads or boardwalks back to these areas. And if you get back there, you have them all to yourself. But the only way to get back there to them is to know where to park, know where they are. I have hand-drawn maps in the guidebook to get you guys back to these things. And I have compass headings you can use on your phone to make sure you're going the right direction because there's no trail. You're just cutting through meadows and everything else. I'm looking for signs that I've got listed in the guidebook to make sure you're going the right way. Because a lot of the days you guys are going there in July and August, it's going to be too hot to see steam, so you can't see it. So you have to follow the instructions in the guidebook. I'm telling you, there's some amazing things that I have found in Yellowstone Park simply by being bored, man. When you're a kid growing up and you're going in Yellowstone Park for the 85th time in, in two months, you, you want to go find some new stuff. And, and over 60 years of doing that, that is what I have found. And I have found the best of the best of the best in Yellowstone Park, and that's what I listed in that guidebook for you guys. And you're not going to find any of these backcountry hikes in any other guidebooks anywhere else. They're not going to come up on all trails or anything else. They're in my head, and I have put them in that guidebook for you guys, and that's where you're going to find them. All right, so let's discuss day hiking next. Let's kind of gloss over day hiking in Yellowstone Park. I'm not going to discuss day hiking in Grand Teton. I kind of glossed over that a minute ago, so I'm not going to go over all that again. But all of the hikes that are suitable for small kids, handicapped, elderly, all that around the Grand Tetons are all listed for you guys. And then the harder hikes and then the super harder hikes are listed in the guidebook for you guys. And they're all set up descriptions and what you're looking for to make sure you're on the right trail, where to park, everything. So... Let's discuss day hiking in Yellowstone Park first. And if, even if you're just day hiking, you, you guys really need to be prepared. You guys need to have good footwear, preferably Gore-Tex or weatherproof footwear because some of the trails in the morning have dew on them and everything else. You're going to get your legs wet and your shoes get wet and everything else. And there's nothing worse than hiking with wet feet. And, it, and I don't care what the weather forecast says up there, you guys. Those weathermen up there in Yellowstone or on your phone are no better than the ones in your hometown and the ones in my home hometown suck. They're terrible and they suck up there too. So be prepared. Be prepared for rain. Have a little bear spray with you guys. If you're hiking in bear country, and I kind of discussed bear country in the in the guidebook for you guys, just, just be prepared as the Boy Scout motto. Be prepared. I have gotten caught out in just driving rainstorms and hailstorms for hours and the weather forecast was 77 and sunny with low winds all day long man i'm telling you it'll turn on you in a heartbeat so be prepared always have good gear and if you don't have a good gear with you and all that stuff and you're already up there 
West Park Outdoors in West Yellowstone opened up last summer in 2023, and it's kind of like a miniature REI store, and they carry some really good quality gear that you're not just going to throw away at the end of your trip. You're going to keep it for years, if not decades. It's real good, high-quality stuff, great binoculars, everything, and they also sell my guidebook for me for people that need a guidebook that are already up there that want a paperback copy, so... But for those of you that want to go do some hikes and it's going to be a little wet or rainy or misty or something like that and you don't have enough rain gear or something, go over there and grab some good gear that you can take with you and bring back for your next trip and your next trip or your next trip to Yellowstone Park year after year. So be prepared. All right, so here's the story with day hiking. I remember I had a ranger buddy of mine tell me one day we were sitting there talking doing some hiking up there around old faithful or something like that and we were walking back to the main parking lot you know we go up to old faithful and you see 25 or thirty thousand people just jostled in there shoulder to shoulder around old faithful and and uh he got he looks over at me and he goes man because we had just seen some really cool stuff we had just gotten away from the people blocks away from where Old Faithful is and been hiking for hours by ourselves. And I cover all that in the guidebook for you guys. And we walk back there and we get back and see all those people. And he just looks at me and he goes, man, well, 99% of the people that come to Yellowstone Park might as well be tied to the front bumper of their car by a hundred yard piece of rope. And I kind of looked over at him and I go, it's about right, isn't it? He goes, yeah. He goes, it's amazing. I mean, people just want things handed to them on a silver platter, like Old Faithful. It's just handed to you on a silver platter. And I go, never thought of it like that, but I've got that quote in the guidebook. And he told me that 40 years ago. God, it was probably in 1980. And that has just rung true forever and ever and ever. So, But in the guidebook... It, it, if you go day hiking, and I don't care if you go day hiking on a 0.7-mile trail that I've got listed in the guidebook and you can take a four-year-old on, the second you get away from your car and out on a backcountry trail, the the noise and everything of your car and the cars driving by and everything, it just disappears in like two or three minutes. It's, it's amazing. The noise gets sucked up by the trees and everything around you by nature, and then within minutes... You start hearing things that you haven't heard for years or maybe not ever in your life. You can you can hear animals moving around. You can you come around a corner and see some bison up there, and you can hear them breathing and grunting and moving around, and you can hear the little red dog calves running around and the noise they make as they butt heads and everything else. And then you come up there, and there might be an elk or an owl or something in a tree, and, and you start hearing stuff. Your senses perk up. Your other senses besides riding in a car and looking at crap on your phone takes over and it becomes a really neat experience and it only it happens quickly just three or four minutes away from your car and your other senses that you don't use a lot pop up sight sound smells temperature, things like that really get moving in your body as you're walking along these trails. It's really, really cool. I mean, the peace and solitude I find when I hike in Yellowstone Park is amazing, and it just doesn't take much to get that. It doesn't take much effort. So in the guidebook, I've got 18 day hikes that are suitable for small kids, even the elderly, 
And I kind of describe every one of these in the guidebook to you guys. And I got them grouped in areas, like over by the Old Faithful area, and on and on and on, like I kind of mentioned earlier. So no matter what section of Yellowstone Park you're visiting that day, the chapters in the guidebook go to certain areas in the park. That way it breaks Yellowstone Park down into an area you can easily and enjoyably visit in a single day. So say you're visiting over in the canyon area. I give you some great hikes in and around the canyon canyon area that are, are suitable for small kids. I give you a great hike where it's suitable for small kids where there's some campsites that you guys can go visit and see the elusive bullwinkle, the moose. So, But yeah, there's some great hikes in there, but I give you 18-day hikes that are easy to do and suitable for the smallest hiker in your group. And there's descriptions and pictures of all of these in the guidebook for you guys. And then we kind of step it up a notch. Then I've got 17 more day hikes that are not suitable for small kids or the elderly. We kind of move up a notch in difficulty as well as moving up in safety because you're not hiking on boardwalks and walkways and all that kind of stuff. You're out hiking on trails in the backcountry and there's no safety precautions in place on some of these hikes which you're getting to geysers or hot pools or something like that so you can't take small kids back here who might get away from you because they, you know, they just don't understand how that boiling hot water of 220 degrees is gonna kill them in four or five seconds. They just don't understand that. So I limit this second group of day hikes that are more difficult, and I, I say that they're not suitable for those small kids for safety concerns. Also, they're gonna some of them are gonna be too far. Some of them are eight or nine miles from your car, and eight or nine miles for an adult isn't that big of a bite a day. And to get back, you can get there in about three or four hours and get back in three or four hours after you've visited the area I'm sending you to. But it's an all-day hike, but you can't expect a small kid to do that. You might be able to expect a teenager to do that. And and I explain that to you in the guidebook, which by hikes I think can be accomplished by a teenager, but definitely not a small six or seven year old kid. They're just not going to be able to do that much. So those hikes are set up as another group of hikes described in the in the areas in the park and each hike is described to you guys where they are and everything else and if they have a backcountry campsite i tell you if they have a backcountry campsite and if they do have a backcountry campsite i tell you which one you need to get like we've discussed if you're going to denanda falls then we we want 91 or we want the two campsites short of 91 and all that's listed in the guide no matter where you're going if it's got a backcountry campsite i've got the campsite you want in that area. So, all right, so that kind of covers that covers that. And then there also I got three really, really long hikes that must be overnighted. And there's absolutely no way that you can walk that distance in a day and get back to the car. You're, you're just gonna kill yourself. You're gonna you're gonna be hiking for 20 hours. There's just no way to do it. But I've got those listed in there and I kind of break them out in an area that you absolutely know that you have to have an overnight hike to go see these items. So, all right, and then also, lastly but not least, you know, we cover pet-friendly hikes. I've got five great pet-friendly hikes that are, some are really easy and some are a little more difficult. 
that are located right outside of Yellowstone Park. And some of them are fabulous. You get up some of these high mountain peaks and beautiful views of the Grand Tetons and the Yellowstone Caldera and hike to a big glacial-fed lake. And there's some great hikes you can do right outside of Yellowstone Park and have your dog running with you the whole time. In fact, you'll see other people on the trail with their dogs. And we take our little dog on these trails. And you cannot hike with your dog on any trail in either park, Yellowstone or Grand Teton, park-wide, and they they will hand you a steep ticket if you do it. So just don't do it. And the reason is dogs get away from you. They get in these hot pools. They, too, don't know how hot the water is. And dogs carry diseases, things that they have long been immune to that the animals in Yellowstone Park are not immune to. So that's another reason. You cannot ever hike with your dog in Grand Teton or Yellowstone National Park. And as you guys have been listening along, we've been talking about the Beckler region, hiking region in Yellowstone Park. So let's talk about Beckler next to kind of educate you guys because 99.9% of the people that visit Yellowstone Park don't even know the Beckler area even exists. But it is without question my favorite part of Yellowstone Park. So since 1872 and up until right now in 2024, the Beckler area, which is the entire southwest corner of Yellowstone Park, is a hiking-only area. And it, it has got some of the most magnificent waterfalls and trails and everything you can ever imagine. And 80% of Yellowstone Park's waterfalls are located in Beckler. It's simply an incredible area that is nothing like anywhere else in Yellowstone Park, whereas a lot of Yellowstone Park's kind of uh, loblolly pines and arid and dry and all this kind of stuff, and and the canyon area is real rocky and rough and everything else. The Beckler area looks like you walked into Olympic National Forest up in Washington. There's big ferns growing in everywhere and giant mushrooms as big as your head, multicolored mushrooms and and the trails all wet and everything else, even in August and September. And there's just water everywhere. And there's so much water, you can't even hike in the Beckler area until the end of July. You can get in there before that, about July 4th weekend. I've hiked a little bit in Beckler in July, but it is just muddy. It can be muddy up to your calves and the mosquitoes. Oh my God, they could carry off a small child. I had to put on so much DEET one year on the July 4th weekend. We hiked into Union Falls I got out there, and it took me about three days to get that deed out of my system. I kept seeing double. I mean, that place is a swarm of mosquitoes because it's so wet up until the last of July and the first week in August is about when Beckler first opens up to, to good hiking, whether the area is dry enough to go hike and you're not hiking in mud and there won't be so many mosquitoes. And I cover all those dates, of course, in the guidebook for you guys. However, the Beckler area is just simply 
really astoundingly beautiful. I mean, the cover shot for the guidebook is at Union Falls, which is the tallest double falls on planet Earth. That is the cover shot with Lisa standing in front of Union Falls with this rainbow shooting across the cover of the guidebook right above her head. It is a magical spot. It is so cool. And then right next door to Union Falls is Scout Creek, which has a 99-degree water in it year-round. You can jump off this little 10-foot cliff into the waters of Scout Creek on this little waterfall and frolic around for a little while after you went and visited Union Falls. I mean, it's this whole area is just got it going on. I cover Terraced Falls, which is this beautiful in-and-out short hike that is suitable for the smallest hiker in your group. So there are some short, good hikes in Union Falls like that. And then there's some longer ones. You can easily day hike to Union and Scout and go swimming and get back to your car easily by 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And, and then everything else takes a little bit longer. Like I said, Dunanda is about nine miles in, but I cover all of these. And Silver Scarfs is great hot pot up in Silver Scarf and everything else. But the Beckler area is just unreal. And there's just waterfall after waterfall after waterfall after waterfall. It's just an incredible area to go walking through. We have shot some great videos in Beckler that are on our private YouTube page. And for those of you that haven't bought a guidebook yet, there's a QR code in the back of the guidebook that when you scan that, it opens up a private YouTube library of videos that there's about 150, 160 videos on there, and it's a private YouTube video page. But we cover all of the hikes and everything that are listed in the guidebook, so you can be reading along in the guidebook and see a hike in there, go to that private YouTube page and actually see me talking about that hike right on the trail as you guys can, and you can get a visual of what that trail actually looks like before you go on it. It's really, really cool. And it doesn't matter where it is in Yellowstone Park or Grand Teton, we have shot a video of the trailhead along the trail and then at the finish line for you guys. You guys can see all these great hikes before you even go on them. So yeah, that private YouTube page is really, really cool. That is the largest single collection of videos ever compiled in the history of Yellowstone and Grand Teton National Parks. And it is fully available to anybody who buys a guidebook. It's really cool. Everybody loves it. It's a great way to help plan your Yellowstone Park vacation. So, but the Beckler area is astounding. Mr. Bubbles is at the end of the kind of the middle end of the Beckler area up there, and it's the largest hot pot in the world. I have seen videos and know friends that got married in Mr. Bubbles. I mean, with 50 or 60 wedding party members, the bride and groom and her parents and everybody are standing in Mr. Bubbles while a preacher gets them married, and they're all standing in Mr. Bubbles. I mean, it's unreal. So there's just some really amazingly cool things things at Beckler, but it is a just now a hiking area, and it's been that way since the inception of the park, and I've said in numerous podcasts that I think one day Cam Shawley, who's the park superintendent, with the, with the help of Sarah Davis, who's the, the head park ranger for Yellowstone Park, they're going to get their heads together, and somebody, somebody is going to figure out a way to get the general public, the people that visit Yellowstone Park on the interior along the figure eight loops down there where they can access that area via a car or something like that. The problem is, is that it's so wet. And so it'd be hard to get a road built through the Beckler Meadow. And you God, you guys are walking through the Beckler Meadow and the Teton Ranges out there. This is a gorgeous area, man. I'm telling you, it's so cool. But 
if they did that, if they figure out a way to get some roads built down there, I think they should do an elevated tram like they have around Disney World out in Orlando. That way you could kind of get people above the water. You could go there basically any time, and this tram would go through the through the area, and then you could drop people off at certain areas, and then you wouldn't have to worry about building roads on really wet, marshy things. I honestly think a tram system throughout Yellowstone Park, high-speed trams in certain areas, trams that make stop at every single pullout, and da-da-da-da-da. You could have a tram system built in Yellowstone Park to alleviate the enormous traffic jams and crowds that get into Yellowstone Park that this tram system would get people to certain areas. You could take a tram that only goes to Old Faithful or only goes to the Canyon area and gets there quickly and easily, and you don't have to worry about your car or anything else. And the bison and the elk and the bears and all the animals can freely migrate underneath the tram without ever stopping, and the tram could have glass windows underneath it where you can see down, and the guy can stop if you guys see a bear, and there'll be a number of pullouts. You guys can get out, take pictures of elk, bison, da-da-da-da-da. But as it is now, it's just an untenable situation. Something's going to have to change. And, you know, somebody listening to this podcast that works for the National Parks, you know, going to go up to his boss and go, hey, man, I got a great idea. So, you know, but, you know, it's untenable. As the the visitor totals keep going up and up and up every every year, they're going to have to do something. But when the Beckler area does get opened up to the general public, you know, because right now it's hiking only. It's been that way since 1872, like we talked about. But that would alleviate a lot of pressure on Yellowstone Park, whereas probably less than 1,000 1,500 or 2,000 people ever get down to Beckler every single year right now, which is just a fraction of the 5 million that visit Yellowstone Park. If you could get a million down there, just think how much pressure that would alleviate on the rest of Yellowstone Park. So I will stop rambling about Beckler area back there. But you guys, it's just a fabulous area. Anybody that's a hiker, it's easy hiking. They're easy walks. And I describe all of these, these hikes in the guide but that are if they're suitable for for younger hikers or if you how far you've got to go but there's no difficult climbs or hikes it's all pretty flat everything in the Beckler region is on the western side of the continental divide the continental divide kind of swings through the southwest corner of Yellowstone Park and goes swings just south of the Old Faithful area and then swings just south of West Yellowstone. But that trail kind of swings around through the southern end of Yellowstone Park and goes up at an angle. And everything that's on the west side of that pours into Beckler, hence why all the waterfalls are down there. So, But the Beckler area is absolutely a magical hiking area, and I get you guys to the best of the best hikes in Beckler, and I tell you the best campsites and everything else, and all of that's listed in the guidebook for you guys, and you guys can go see the videos in the in that private YouTube page and see all the pictures in the guidebook of that area for those of you that are hikers, and uh, the Beckler area is not to be missed. And in the guidebook, in kind of the kind of help bring this podcast to a close. As far as hikes in Yellowstone Park are concerned, let's cover hikes that I've got listed on the western edge of Yellowstone Park but are still in Yellowstone Park because very few people know about these. But you can go hiking in Yellowstone Park and not have to go inside the actual park itself on the big figure eight loops and fight all the crowds and traffic. These are great hikes for people that want to go hiking in Yellowstone without actually entering the main area of Yellowstone Park itself. So let's cover those next.
So in the guidebook, I've got a, a section called Western Edge of Yellowstone Hikes for you guys. And I list five hikes for you in there that are on Highway 191 leaving north from West Yellowstone away from the West Gate like you're heading to Big Sky and Bozeman. And what happens is, is you tootle along through there on 191 and then all of a sudden you see a sign over there on the side of the road that says Yellowstone Park. And you just fly right through it. And so there's no gates, there's no stopping, there's no traffic or anything else. And a suggested 55 mile an hour speed limit. A lot of people go a lot faster than this because there's very little traffic over there. So you're flying along through there in Yellowstone Park. And there are five really great hikes over there that I've got listed for you in the guidebook. And some of them are totally suitable for little kids because you guys can walk on some of these hikes just as far as you want to. There's some beautiful areas that the start of the Gallatin River up there where it's only about five feet wide and you guys can go over there and do a little swimming on a hot day and then I've got a hike down there that I took my kids on. My kids would love to go up to this one hike because there was a camping area about two and a half miles up the trail. The trail's flat and a pancake. It looks like a Coors beer commercial the entire way and they'd go camping up there and we'd swim in this little stream and everything else and they've even got a place where you guys are going to go hunt morel mushrooms after it rains. There's a big sign the park service has put up inside Yellowstone Park that says limit of 10 pounds per person per day of morel mushroom because there's that many morel mushrooms on this hike I've got listed for you in the guidebook. And then kind of to finish off this western edge of Yellowstone Hikes, I've got a huge one-day hike. There's no campsites on this hike. It's about 18 miles to complete but it gives you the biggest dose of high mountain scenery hiking found anywhere in Yellowstone Park and hardly anybody except some locals know about that trail and it is absolutely incredible. It is a fabulous, fabulous hike. And I haven't thrown too many stories in this podcast, so I'm going to throw a story in here. i got a story at the end of this that's a kind of a weird deal about hitchhiking, but I'm going to throw this one in right here because it talks about this trail. And I came off this trail one day, and I had stashed a bike at this trailhead so I could ride back to my car and not have to walk down the road or hitchhike down the road to this the other trailhead where I'd started this hike. So I came out of these trees over here and crossed over 191 and I had this bike stashed down in the bushes down over here and uh, there's this little turnaround parking lot right here and there's four guys standing over there at this car and I kind of waved at them and everything else and I went down in the trees to get this bike I'd thrown down in the bushes down there. A little janky bike I was going to try to pedal down the side of the highway for about three miles. And this guy comes over and starts talking to me, and he's obviously French. I can tell by his accent that he is French. And he was asking me about fishing. Was the fishing good right there? And the Gallatin's right there. And I said, yeah, it's really good. And this was in the fall of about 2000. 12, 2013. In the fall, the fishing gets really good right behind my house on the Madison River back there because the big browns come up out of Lake Hebgen. A lot of people come to West Yellowstone but to fish the Madison River right behind my house, right outside of Yellowstone Park to catch those big browns. So I cover all that in the fly fishing chapter in the guidebook for you guys. So I was explaining this to this guy and one other guy spoke a little bit English, and that little fat chubby guy didn't speak a lick of English, and then this other guy spoke a little bit of English, and I'm talking to him, and they're all just, you know, listening, and they're all really, really nice, and they just don't know heads or tails about anything going on in Yellowstone Park, and so anyway, I said, hey, if you guys want to come by my house, I'll show you guys on a map and everything where you guys can go fishing, and there'll be fishermen right behind my house, and they go, oh my God, we would love to do that, so I get out this napkin or something they had, they're having their little picnic area right over there. 
there, and I draw this map on the back the back of this napkin. I go, I will never ever see those guys again. And so I hop on my bike, I pedal it down the side of the highway, and try not to get run over, and jump in my car, and I'm driving back to my cabin. And after that big hike, I started real early. I took a quick nap, and then I was going to get about five o'clock and take a shower and have a drink and celebrate my completing that really great hike and and uh, go into town. And so I'm you know getting out of the shower and I hear this car drive by my window. It's like, oh my God, those guys found me. And so they come in there and I make them a drink and everything else and a couple of them open a bottle of wine and they're just shooting the crap, having fun, man. And we went out there and locked, talked all the fishermen out of the river. Come back in there and this little fat chubby guy is over there jacking with my golf clubs. We were going to go play golf the very next day. And we're looking at maps and I'm telling these guys where to go fishing and what to fishing with. I got all my lures out and all this kind of stuff. And this guy keeps going, you know, looking at my golf clubs over there. And so, you know, I didn't really pay much, much attention, just a little short chubby guy. And so <laughs> he finally says something in French to the guy I'm talking to. And the guy goes, do you guys play golf around here? And I said, yeah, we're actually playing tomorrow. And he says something back to the guy in French. And the guy says something back to him and he goes, can he go with you? And I said, yeah, we've only got three pit players. He can be the fourth guy. And he goes, tells him, and just this guy just lights up like a candle, man. He's just face. He's got a huge smile on his face and everything else. I said, they got rental clubs and everything up at Big Sky. And he goes, what time do you want him to be here? And I said, you got, we're leaving about nine o'clock. Just got to be here about 845. And you guys can, I'll borrow some of my fly fishing stuff, go fish out back and everything else. We'll meet back over here about four or five o'clock tomorrow afternoon. This little short chubby guy's just on cloud nine. I said, okay, man. So anyway, sure enough, they're like at 830 in the morning, man. They're just geared up. This little fat guy's just ready to go, man. So all my my buddies come pick me up, and we drive up to Big Sky, and we go play golf. And this guy's just terrible golfer. I mean, he is not an athlete by any stretch of the imagination. He's terrible. But, man, we have a ball. He is just loving it. I mean, he's taking all these pictures because the lone peak of Big Sky's back behind you on all these holes, and we're taking pictures by the creek where he hit five golf balls in it and all this stuff. I mean, he is having an absolute ball. And so we finish the round. We go stop at the corral on the way back, and we're having a beer and everything else, and he buys everybody at the bar around and everything else. He is just on cloud nine, man. I guess he just loved to play golf. He was just so nice, but he didn't speak a lick of English. He was so hard to communicate with. I mean, but he just had this huge grin on his face the whole day. So we get back to the cabin and the guys are sitting there and I drop my friends off and we go inside and everything else. And, and uh, the guy, they start talking in French. And I mean, he's just the little chubby guy, so animated and everything else he's telling about all the things they saw. And he's got his phone out showing him all the pictures that me and him took of me and him together and in front of Lone Peak and everything else. I mean, I bet he lost at least 12 or 15 golf balls. I mean, he dropped a hundred bucks on golf balls. <laughs> you know, but he didn't care a lick. He just had a ball. And then he starts talking to this guy, and this guy goes, Hey, do you got can your computer pull up Google Earth? You know, you guys remember this is 15 years ago. And I said, sure. And so he goes, pull up France. And so I said, okay. So I pulled up France, and so he goes down to Paris and all this kind of stuff. And so he's moving the cursor and getting down there towards the south of France and everything, and he kind of scoots down and down and down. And he goes, he would like you to be able to stay at one of his homes in France 
if you guys ever come to Europe. And I said, yeah, we go to Europe every year. And he goes, well, you guys can stay at his home in Paris or on the south of France. He's got a home in Nice. He's got a home in Antibes. He, this guy. And I said, no kidding. He goes, he goes, yeah, he's got homes all over the world. And he goes, but he's got a bunch of them right there in France that you guys can go stay with. He's got some in Italy and everything else. And I go, really? That guy's got that kind of cheese? And he goes, yeah, he owns Max Factor. The largest, the largest cosmetic makeup place, whatever you want to call it, on planet Earth. Multi, multi billionaire when there were only a handful of billionaires on Earth, and that little fat guy was one of them. And he's just giving me carte blanche to go stay at any one of his mansions. He's zoomed down on this mansion down by Nice. I mean, this place was just a palatial palace with an Olympic-sized swimming pool on the back and these gardens and everything else. You couldn't believe how elaborate this place was. It looked like Versailles. I mean, acres and acres of land right on the coast. It was stupendously extravagant. And this little short fat guy owned them all, man. He's just the nicest little guy. But he owned Max Factor, the world's largest cosmetic distributorship on planet Earth earth. So I swear, I think my ex-wife has that guy's name and number somewhere because I couldn't find it. When I did this podcast a few years ago, it kind of reminded me when I was talking about that trail, it reminded me of meeting this these French guys. And so yeah, I don't know where that is and I'm not going to call my ex-wife and ask her about it. But anyway, yeah, that guy, you never know who you're going to run into in Yellowstone Park. So I hadn't thrown any stories in in this podcast, but I thought I'd throw that one in there because that's a really, really interesting and a really good one. But yeah, that guy was just terrible at golf, but he had more fun. He lost, yeah, he lost a hundred bucks for the golf balls and loved it. So, but I hadn't thrown anything fun in there yet. So I thought I'd throw that one in there for you guys. All right. And to kind of bring this podcast to a close, let's talk about what is considered one of the top five hikes on planet earth. This is one of the greatest hikes on Earth, and it's right there in Yellowstone Park. I mean, this hike is listed in there with the Great Wall of China. So this is a fabulous hike, and and it gets you to some of the best of the best of Yellowstone Park, and it goes through that Beckler region. So let's talk about this wonderful hike that is listed in the guidebook for you guys. Everything you need to know about this hike is in the guidebook where you start, finish, the campsites you want, everything's in the guidebook. So let's kind of go over this real quick, and then we'll finish up this podcast. All right, for those of you that want to hear me do this hike, this is one of the first hikes I ever did in Yellowstone Park. And we did this hike in two days, but this hike really needs to be broken out in three or four or even five days. But this is a great hike. And if you guys want to listen to this in a podcast, you can go to my story podcasts, and it's called The First Big Hike. And I kind of describe how this all happened and some mishaps we had along the way and uh everything else and uh, but it's it's really really a good hike man but uh yeah you can kind of listen to us we got over our heads real quick as our first big hike in yellowstone park and then it was uh 
it was something to behold. Let's just put it that way. But it was my first hike into Beckler, and I just fell in love with it. It was just amazing, and the, the things we saw and everything else. So, But anyway, what you do on this hike, basically, and this is, like I mentioned, people from all over the world come to do this. They'll be hiking in Yellowstone Park for days, if not weeks at a time. People from Norway and Sweden, big hikers like those guys, they come over here and they never even get a hotel room. They're just hiking along the trail. They bathe in the rivers and streams with biodegradable soap. And, and yeah, they're just out there for weeks. I mean, I got off the plane one time with a kid in West Yellowstone, and he had his backpack on, and he was walking out and just walking down the road heading towards West Yellowstone, walking down the road. And I had talked to him on the airplane, and I pulled over next to him, and I said, hey, man, you need a ride somewhere? And he goes, yeah, yeah, where's the entrance to the the park and I said well it's right down over here I said you know where are you, what are you doing where are you going and he goes I've just got a bunch of, of backcountry campsites reserved and I'm gonna go hike in Yellowstone Park for about three weeks and I'm gonna head down to Grand Teton and hike down there for a, a week and I'm just gonna walk the entire area and the entire time and I said no kidding that sounds really cool and he goes I'm supposed to start somewhere up in an area called Mammoth and I said dad Mammoth's a long ways away <laughs> you're gonna have a trouble walking there and they kind of frown on on uh, hitchhiking in the park and geez I don't know if I ought to tell the story or not I'll tell the story at the end of this podcast effort it's over about hitchhiking in Yellowstone Park something that happened when I was a kid up there but anyway so I you know I said hey all right I just got here too let's let's kind of regroup and everything else and I said here I'll take you over to the uh, the the gate the west gate over here and I said you can ask one of the rangers you know you can kind of tell them what's going on and ask if you can hitchhike up there and I said I'll be back in town in about an hour and after I kind of get everything unloaded at my house and then I will come over there and see if you're still standing there and if you're not Great. If you are, I'll give you a ride to Mammoth. And he goes, okay, man, thanks so much. And so I did all my stuff. I went over there, went to the gate, and uh, swung through the gate right there. And he was already gone. Somebody had picked him up. and But he was going to be gone for a month and never do anything. I mean, he's just going to camp out all over the Yellowstone Park. But he had all these campsites reserved in advance, kind of knew his tour and where he was going and he had the maps the quadrangle maps and everything else but there's people that do that all the time people come from all over the world to do these hikes but the biggest hike the best hike that everybody wants to go do is starting at Old Faithful and you swing by Lone Star and you go from Lone Star down to Shoshone. You spend the night at Shoshone Geyser Basin after you've checked out everything that's shown, then you jump on the Beckler River Trail and that Beckler River Trail crosses over the Continental Divide a few times. And I describe this hike in depth and what you're seeing along the way and all the campsites you need and everything else. Then you get down to Three Rivers Junction where Mr. Bubbles is and all that. And then you walk down through the Beckler Canyon and Iris Falls, Colonnade Falls. Then you swing over towards Union Falls and Scout Creek and spend the night there. And I tell you the campsites you need. Then you go over to Denanda and Denanda and Silver Scarf and all the stuff. Then you finally swing out towards the Beckler Ranger Station. And honestly, that entire hike can end up taking about four or five days, depending on how far you go. But that hike gets you to the Old Faithful Geyser Basin and all the geysers. That's your starting point. And then it gets you to the Shoshone Geyser Basin and then all the stuff in Beckler Canyon and Mr. Bubbles and all those stuff in the Beckler Canyon. And go see the highlights of Beckler Canyon through there. It has been listed at the top five hikes on planet Earth for 
decades, as far as I can remember, it's been listed as one of the top five hikes in, on, on, in the world. And it's great. It's, it's right up there with hiking the, the Great Wall in China and stuff like that. And I've got that listed in the guidebook for you guys. So I've even got information how you guys can do this with llamas and have llamas carry all your stuff for you. And with that, we've kind of covered the hiking chapter in the guidebook. Just remember, the this is a quick gloss over of what's in the guidebook. If I was going to go over everything that's in this hiking chapter in the guidebook, this podcast would take five hours. So I just threw in that really crazy story in there, too. So, And I will shoot a quick YouTube video of this as well, so you can see me pointing at places on the map when I'm discussing a certain hike or something like that. But it'll be the shortened version of this podcast. But we're going to get those published out here in the next week or two for you guys so and with that we are done with the hiking podcast for the 2024 season for yellowstone park and just remember everything's in that guidebook for you guys these great hikes i really worked hard at redoing the hiking chapter in the guidebook and we've got all the maps you guys need in there so you guys don't have to go dig up maps for these outside areas and and these secret geyser basin areas you know i've got a map printed off and then i've got the trail shown on there and everything else because they're not going to find them anywhere so those trails are not shown on any maps they're only shown in the guidebook i mean they were in my head and i put them in the guidebook for you guys and that's the only place those trails exist i promise you so and then we've got all of these places to camp out everything listed in the guidebook the best of the best of the best hikes and the best of the best of the best campsites along those hikes i'm jetting about 80 85 90 percent of the hikes in yellowstone Park because they're just walking through the trees. When I go hiking in Yellowstone and Grand Teton, I want to go see some cool stuff, and I'm going to get you guys to all the cool stuff in both parks. And honestly, you guys, there's about a month's worth of hikes to do in the guidebook. I'd say a month or more, counting that big one. So if you don't catch a hike that you guys see in the guidebook that you wanted to do on this trip, it gives you a little impetus to come back and do it later. So there, there's some wonderful, wonderful hikes in Yellowstone Park that you can't find anywhere else on planet Earth. And I get you to all of those spots in this guidebook, plus some that you're not going to find anywhere else. So, all right, everybody have a great time hiking in the park. And I am, we'll see you in the park doing some hiking because I practice what I preach and I am in Yellowstone Park hiking all the time so we will see you in the park all right so this podcast is basically over i'm going to throw in a little tidbit here at the end for you guys that want to hear another little macabre story about hitchhiking in yellowstone park that occurred when i was a little kid All right, for those of you that like to listen to a little macabre, you know, I tell a great story about the zone of death in Yellowstone Park. It's in my story podcast where you can actually get away with murder in Yellowstone Park, and that's actually a legal document that you can get away. If you guys are interested in that, listen to the podcast, story podcast, The Zone of Death, which is in the Beckler area of Yellowstone Park where you can actually legally get away with killing somebody. But... Uh, I probably ought to do a podcast just on deaths in Yellowstone Park. I mean, that Brian Laundrie killed Gabby Petito. I cover that in the guidebook where he killed and her and stuffed her body. It's right there down by Grand Teton, but I tell you all that in the guidebook. But anyway, so what happened when I was a kid? When I was a kid back in the 60s, a lot of you a lot of you guys are younger than me, obviously, but anybody that's older in their 50s or 60s or 70s that's listening to these podcasts or buys a guidebook knows that everybody used to hitchhike all over the United States. 
States. I mean, it was legal basically everywhere to go hitchhiking anywhere you wanted to in the United States. And I mean, you couldn't drive on a highway and not see hitchhikers, you know, five or 10 hitchhikers every few hours at the turnoffs and exits of the, of the interstates and stuff like that. They, everybody hitchhiked all over the country right up until this one event happened in Yellowstone Park. So I was probably, God, I think I was five, six, eight, ten 10 years old, somewhere right through there. So what happened was, is this guy was driving through Yellowstone Park, and these two, a boy and a girl, were hitchhiking around Yellowstone Park. And a lot of people did that back then. You couldn't drive through Yellowstone Park and not see people hitchhiking through there. It just happened all the time. So what happened was, was this man, I guess he was in his late 20s or early 30s, and he picked up these two young kids hitchhiking, and they were in their late teens or maybe 20 years old or something like that, and they were bombing through Yellowstone Park together. And so they bombed through Yellowstone Park, and they went out through Gardner. They had dinner somewhere in Gardner or grabbed some picnic stuff or anything else, and they drove just north of Gardner a few miles down to the Yellowstone River, and they were going to go down there and have a, a picnic dinner down there by the Yellowstone River, and they were going to spend the night down there. And so it was really nice out, and the gardener's really warm in the summertime, so they were going to sleep outside, out on the ground out there. And this guy had a sleeping bag, and these kids had all their stuff with them, of course. So they're going to camp out on the Yellowstone River at this little pullout down there, about, I guess, five miles north of Gardner. And so during the night, this man kills these two kids, and not only that, he kills them and he cannibalizes them. He eats part of them. And that's what made that's what made all the headlines. And so yeah, he actually cannibalized these two kids. Now he didn't eat their entire bodies or anything like that, but he kept part of them in his car and he left and would eat them as he was driving down the road for days until they found this guy. But then when they found him, he still had body parts of them in the car and he was eating them. So with that, that basically ended hitchhiking in Yellowstone Park, and it ended a lot of the hitchhiking in and around the United States. After that happened, hitchhiking plummeted. The, the, the thrill and adventure of hitchhiking around the United States took a U-turn and uh, kind of quickly started to go down to an end, and a lot of states started banning hitchhiking. And so it that one event that took place in Yellowstone Park and the actual death and then the cannibalization of these two kids took place just north of Gardner down there on the Yellowstone River. That stopped a lot of the hitchhiking. And because of that, today, all the way in 2024, you very rarely see a lot of people hitchhiking. I mean, you saw people hitchhiking that were, they weren't just homeless people or, you know, grubby looking or anything else. They were college students and, and adults. And these were clean cut, clean shaven smart, educated people that just would rather hitchhike and meet new people as opposed to driving a car. It, it, you know, there used to be the old saying, ass, cash, or grass. That that old saying that, you know, you're going to do one of those three things, it was uh, the motto of all these hitchhikers. So you're going to give the guy that picked you up some cash or you guys were going to smoke some weed or something like that. That was the motto of all of these hitchhikers for 
decades, when I was a little kid growing up, I mean people hitchhiked all over the place, just hitchhiked to the grocery store. So it was just nuts. But that event, uh, which happened right there north of Yellowstone Park after these people had bombed around Yellowstone Park, put a grinding halt to all that. So I thought of that when I was telling you guys a story earlier about hitchhiking in the park and stuff like that. So I thought I would throw this here at the end. So doesn't have anything to do with the hiking. That's why I put it here at the end. So Gosh, I remember about 15 or 20 years ago, I was going into the park and it was just pouring down rain, just pouring down rain. But I got on my rain gear and I was going to go do some hiking. And I came through the gate with a single car in line and right in the middle of the day because it was raining so hard, nobody was going into the park. And I pulled through the gate and there's this kid standing there right there, 100 yards past the entry gate right there. And he is just getting drenched. I mean drenched. And I pulled over and I said, Get in, get in, man. And so he hops in and he's clearly got an English accent. You know, I said, you from, you know, England? And he goes, yeah, I live right there in the middle of London. And we started talking and he'd been standing out there for over an hour and nobody would pick him up. And he goes, oh, cars just flying by me. Nobody would pick this poor kid up. And he was just like 20, 21 years old. And he had a work permit to come over and work in Yellowstone Park. He actually worked up by Old Faithful. And he was from London. And I said, you know, where do you live in London? I said, I've been to London a few times myself. And he goes, well, right over by Hyde Park. Our family's got a house that affronts Hyde Park. And I was going, wow, that is a very, very affluent neighborhood. So, yeah, this kid's family was just stupid rich. And he's out there standing in the rain for an hour. And nobody would pick the kid up. But that's that's the how it all happened. That's That event where that guy cannibalized those two two young kids changed hitchhiking in America. And, uh, you know, I felt so sorry for that kid and everything else. And But I dropped him off, and uh, he only had a few more days left in the park before he flew back to London. But, uh, yeah, that's how it was. Nobody would pick up anybody after that event. So, anyway, you guys have made it to the end of this podcast. I'll stop rambling and stop telling stories. But uh, you guys have a great time, and I'll see you guys in Yellowstone Park. See you later. Bye.